Live on tape from Bushwick, it's Puddle Requests on Radio Free Brooklyn. Puddle Requests is an hour-long talk show focusing on everything in and relating to technology. Starring three Brooklyn technophiles, Eric Newman. Hello. Chris Grabowski. Ahoy. And Tyler Dinner. Hello. This week's episode, It's Always Sunny in Bushwick. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Puddle Requests. My name is Eric Newman, and this is a special episode... Because none of us are actually in the studio today. Ho-ho. Imagine that. I have, of course, the wonderful person who has returned from the hideous family experience upstate. Chris, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. And I would totally give you a hug if there were not two microphones standing in between us. But since there are, I really can't hug you. No homo, I can't. How are you? I'm all right. Can't complain. A little you sleepy. Wanna, <laughs> a little sleepy. How is the? Uh, how is how is this? How is? Do you want to talk about it? How is this? Eh. No. Eh. No. Eh. No. No. Eh. Okay. It's up Tyler, you can't blame him. And piping up over there was the person who saved my ass last week. Tyler, how are you? Good. Glad to be back. Thank you. Thank you. Well, welcome, both of you, and mm-hmm. myself. Welcome myself. Well, thanks to pull request. Ah, <laughs> uh, so now that we settled that, what do we talk about this week? So. Um, in the news today, uh, uh, Google announced that uh, they are uh, uh, intending to be 100% renewable, renewable energy by 2017. Wow. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. How many data Crazy. centers do they own? Uh, I don't know the exact number, but offhand, I know they've got some over in uh, the West Coast. they got some kind of in uh, Central uh, U.S., and they have uh, they recently opened up one in Virginia. They also have one in Singapore, um, Singapore, two different regions in Europe, and um, wait. So you said I don't know, but then literally listed <laughs> so, every one of them so off the, the top of those, your head. Those are the those are the public ones. They also have ones that are internal. Don't they have those internal. holes in the ground? I I I, I don't know. I don't work for, for Google, unfortunately. But uh, I do know that they get away with be, being able to use much less power because of the, the fact that they actually invest in um, lower power so- hardware and uh, much uh, higher power, more sophisticated software in uh, manners such as uh, they use BGP, so that way anywhere within the organization, it's 10 gigabits per second that uh, that, that ends up uh, be, uh, allowing them to t- talk 10 gigabits per second uh, between anywhere in the organization due to the fact that BGP routes all the packets for them as opposed and to... What is- BGP border border gateway uh, protocol and and border gateway protocol is used uh, when at borders of course uh, it, what is a border like Mexico so, <laughs> I almost said border control by the way but <laughs> uh, uh, what it actually does is say instead of uh, the normal way I, I, IP addresses work is it's actually a uh, broadcast of the packet to, uh, to everything in the network to see which one actually has the IP address that's and that part actually of- gets stored in ARP which ARP then says, this IP address goes to this MAC address, which the MAC address is at the data link layer, which actually allows you to say, this is the actual computer that I want to uh, send this message to. So once you actually know the, uh, the, through all that broadcasting what IP address you're sending to, then you can actually send the message to that specific computer. But what Border Control, uh, uh, sorry, Border Gateway Protocol allows you to uh, do is just say, ignore all the broadcasting. This is the computer I want you to send to. Send to that computer. Can you build a wall with, with BGP? It's nice to have you back, Christian. Isn't <laughs> nice, it? Nice Isn't to be it the, back. The, uh, the very detailed 
technologically oriented explanations that only you can give. There are, <laughs> there's like 35 more buzzwords in this show already than last week. I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> call them buzz, buzzwords. It's just uh, <clears throat> industry jargon. They're new buzzwords. I feel so like here's an article I found from The Guardian, which talks exactly about that. It says, Google's data centers, of course, spelt the British way because they're The Guardian, uh, and offices for its 60,000 staff will be powered entirely by renewable energy. What does that mean? That probably means poop. My guess is actually uh, solar power. That's already something that they've, uh, I believe they've looked into. They don't and, want to uh, use just, the... Just uh, judging from uh, where we've seen them located, they do have a lot of solar power farms out there, uh, uh, particularly uh, where we've seen their offices are in California. Uh, on the way there, at least, there's about at least a dozen just crowds of windmills I've seen. Wow. The internet giant is already the world's, world's largest corporate buyer of renewable electricity, last year buying 44% of its power from wind and solar farms. Now it'll be 100%, and an executive said it will not rule out investing in nuclear power in the future, too. Mm. Interesting. Nuclear power gets a bad rap in, in America, and I've only lived in America, so I can't really say like oh you know it's better in europe mm. oh americans i'm sorry renewable energy you know japan had renewable energy with nuclear plants before they exploded well, but i should mention i'm sorry i should mention though that modern nuclear technology is very safe we get very a lot safe. less tsunamis in right America. and there's not going to be another chernobyl less. So the the argument i would make is actually from the scientific standpoint of what nuclear energy actually is and that's uh, the uh, f fission of the, uh, the the atoms happening that actually allows this combustion. Uh, at, well, combustion is not the right word. Sorry, um, this generation of just pure energy, and the, uh, with that, the only uh, byproduct that is left is nuclear waste. Which proper disposal of that is where it becomes difficult, and that's where the actual concern is: is how do we uh, dispose of the waste that's left? And the fact is that it's actually recyclable, just through uh, uh, basically to run it through a. Um, What's the word? Um, collider. Um, Hadron? Well, yes. Particle accelerator. Yes. Well, that well, sounds expensive. Well, Google's not probably going to be investing in fission at all. They're fusion. Yeah. Fusion. Well, fusion, fusion, fusion and fission are two different things. The nuclear right, what is the difference? Well, hold on, hold on. Let's take a, take a step back because we have a lot of time. What is the difference between fusion and fission? So fission is actually the pull, uh, pulling apart of, uh, of the atom. Which happens uh, uh, w with nuclear power, like the uh, traditional phrase of an atomic bomb. Right. That is uh, fission happening. Fusion is like the hydrogen bomb, where you're actually uh, merging uh, the sub uh, subatomic particles together. How does that create energy? Making an atom versus taking one apart. Yes, and moving all the, with moving all these subatomic particles, there's always going to be energy uh, created there. Likewise, electricity is actually the excitement of an electron off of that atom, and to the point where the electron actually goes off of its ring, and then just becomes what we call electricity. Wow, that's pretty interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. And modern nuclear plants, you can actually run the waste through them again, and mm -hmm. they'll eat some of it. Exactly. So it's a great way of reducing waste, and uh, they're much smaller in size, and they're much safer, of course, but with lobbying and everything, there's definitely a, a big, I mean, there's a big push to keep burning coal for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, there yeah. really is. With lobbying and everything, that's not the best, and they want to scare you, and they want to say, nuclear energy in the U.S.? Oh my God, there could be a meltdown, just like in The Simpsons. I mean... Homer's not going to be in charge of that, and if there is a well, meltdown, they're usually whoa, 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 whoa. contained. If it's government-run, chances are 
<laughs> Chances are... No, 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 no. I, I don't think nuclear energy will be government-run because current electricity is a private-public partnership. Con Ed is not run by the government, is it? We won't have to worry if waters. we get fusion. If we get fusion, pretty much all the problems are solved, and it might be to a point where no one has to fight for energy anymore because we'll make three fusion plants that will power the world. Um, they just started building the giant, the biggest one ever in Paris or somewhere outside of uh, there in France, and it is the most advanced technological endeavor ever undertaken so far. Wow. Uh, so we should mention, on the first episode, if you remember, uh, we talked about how Radio Free Brooklyn exists in the basement of a record studio on DeKalb Avenue, and that most of the stuff, most of the gear in the station... Is is not that hard to get on your own if you wanted to have a, a, a shopping spree on a Sweetwater or an Amazon or mm -hmm. what's the other uh, site that I'm missing? Uh, Guitar Center, Music Guitar with Friends. Right, Guitar yeah. exactly. And uh, the setup that we have here today, honestly, isn't bad. And we're recording it in Tyler. We're recording this in your apartment. Yeah. And and all mm -hmm. of this is off the shelf stuff. Of course, you you're a musical maven, so. You have this stuff just ambiently around for recording your own, recording your own tunes and things. But I mean, we have the majority of the elements of the studio right here in your in your apartment. It's quite fantastic. What do you? How do you? How does it make you feel? Either of you? Pretty awesome. I mean, it's like I I've always liked recording myself, and uh, just being able to have it from the comfort of a friend's apartment is just I, I think a great experience. Yeah, I've never actually used this music recording equipment for uh, for talking equipment and just for radio and stuff like that. So I'm excited to put it to different use. I mean, we can't quite hit those Beach Boys harmonies yet, so I wouldn't. We can't just spin it. We're close. Close. We're so close. <laughs> so close. So close. Uh, no, and and uh, the democratization of technology and of uh, recording equipment, especially has really helped out. I found out, I was listening to uh, Mr. Mark Marin. I don't know if you've heard of him. No clue. He has a little <laughs> podcast on the iTunes. And no. Mark Marin interviewed somebody, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote Hamilton. Oh. And he made, he recorded Hamilton and all of his demos on GarageBand on a MacBook that he had. And then he recorded the thing that, if I actually paid attention, I would know what it is, that he's working on now. He's using Logic. And mm. it's all just kind of there. And it's it's crazy that you can get uh, an off-the-shelf computer, an app, an off-the-shelf MacBook comes with GarageBand. It's crazy you can pick one up, and you can, and it's and it's everything that you need to really create stuff. And I know this might sound ridiculous, uh, especially because they've been able to do this for ten years, but I've only had a radio show for four weeks, so uh -huh. I haven't had a chance to publicly talk about it until now. Uh, no, and also you know technology increases and the cost goes down, and it becomes easier to get more and more complex stuff mm -hmm. for your home setup. So. Um, I don't know. It's just really, it's really fascinating to, to me the amount of the the amount of um, just access that that people just you know normal people off the street like us uh, you know white people in Bushwick now uh, normal people off the street like us can just go and get without having to invest in racks and racks and racks and rooms and rooms and rooms of stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know it's it's a good it's a good uh, sign of the times, which yeah. I believe is one of those phrases I can't say. <laughs> Might have used it too much on the last show. Anyway. Well, well uh, mentioning racks and racks kind of reminds me. Uh, growing up, I actually had servers in my basement. Really? And I yeah. had a server. When I was in high school, I lived in a townhouse in Palm Beach. And, uh, and we had this like back closet 
There was mm-hmm. a door behind my closet that led into this crawl space. I also had a server there. Growing what up, was your server that you ran? I'll tell you mine. So this was actually my dad's, which um, oh, I've, that's cheating. Uh, your well, dad's a geek. My dad can't use a computer <laughs> to save his life. Well, I believe uh, when he first got the servers, they were actually running Solaris, which interestingly enough is going to be end of life. Oh, no, uh, they just announced this. Yeah. 11.4 is going to be the last release, which, when you look at Solaris, it's responsible for a lot of technology out there. Uh, Solaris zones are basically, mod- uh, like, what turned into containers. And a lot of, uh, like, these Unix and Linux ideas, well, Unix predates Solaris, but a lot of these things got, got kind of pulled into it. And as Solaris is basically like that, like, real first enterprise Unix-based software. And so that, that uh, after that, uh, the servers down in the basement, I believe, were running CentOS. Centos. Yes. It's not Centos. 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 I've been calling. I've, it. I've heard. All, I've heard all, all of them. And uh, what's unfortunate is I've never really heard anyone who's on like the Centos core team say what they say. So I don't know how to actually say it. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it looks like Solaris is going to the big server in the sky. Well, yes. Hence the hence the music. Yes. Uh, I, I think more of like a data center in the sky. But okay. Sky. Sorry, what? I think more of like a data center in the sky, but. Oh. Yeah, but it has to work with the meter. Of the song, Christian. That's how you write lyrics. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, I love Jewish hippies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I know it's by Norman Greenbaum singing a song, but wasn't that song about Jesus? Yeah, he was a mm-hmm. he was Jewish a J for, for J. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, J H J. J H for J. Jewish hippie for Jesus. I mean, I mean, he's mm-hmm. from the '60s. How many Jews weren't hippies? back then i shouldn't say it like that i could ask my parents uh my mom was a flower child she was a she was a jewish hippie of the 60s i feel like lots of people were liberal in the 60s and also showered so. i don't know about showering i mean woodstock might have smelled really bad you might have been able to smell woodstock from pennsylvania oh my god i've been to a music <laughs> festival today and the porta potty situation is bad enough oh yeah porta potty i don't even want to think exactly <laughs> not a lot of air conditioning either and it just stays. Anyway, let's talk about something less shitty. We used <laughs> mentioned last yeah. Pun intended. Uh, last week, I asked you, Tyler, about um, <clears throat> how does it feel to learn web design in this day and age because of all of the new things and all of the different paradigms and, uh, and ways of thinking and ways of accomplishing the same task that uh, you you have to learn. And I think... The hardest thing, the hardest thing for that I would sort out in your position is finding out that a lot of the ways that I could do things are really old and are really, um, let's just say bad for lack of it. They're not bad like they still might work, like running a lamp stack on your computer. Mm. But the noise you made exactly <laughs> exemplifies you should not be doing that anymore. And um, I recently had to try to walk somebody through setting up uh, a lamp stack on their computer and... I realized midway through that I was telling them the 15-year-old way of doing it because you know when when I started when I started doing this you could just hand them a Docker container. They actually and, that's exactly where they went. No, they were going. Yeah. They were vagrant and with Apache and the the whatever. The point is, vagrant Docker are all technologies from this decade, and mm-hmm. Apache and MySQL and PHP are very much. Technologies from last decade. Well, and it hurts to grow up. MySQL still has its merits. Uh, I mean, Postgres, you look at it, and it's much more feature-rich and kind of solid and does the same job, but it's still a viable database to be built off of. That's, that's yeah. true. That's true. But, it, you know, it's still kind of old. Anyway, Tyler, 
Um, how do you how do you sort that out? How do you sort out? You know, is like I this looks right, but it could be from two thousand four. How do you know? Oh boy, um, finding books that are super recent is is very helpful. Um, anything that's longer older than two or three years. So old, books, books for sure. Um, What's a book? <laughs> for those of us who don't know, it's this thing where you Google a PDF. A of a title of a subject that you like and something book. comes up and you read like 300 pages of it am i saying it right <laughs> what's a book does it have a screen no it does not have a screen it doesn't have a screen um, oh, forget it, it then yeah uh, boring however with this challenge has come the advent of a lot of amazing resources on the web of the likes of which we've never seen because uh development is is just there's more tools available. Uh, you can accomplish more things faster. We have more incredible learning tools. Uh, Code Academy was kind of the start of that. Um, and since then, there's... Do you think those code schools are monetizing the destruction of our industry, though? Uh, I would well, say yes and... Uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Oh. But, uh, y yes, uh, yes and no. They're, I, I'd say they're kind of blindly releasing people to the wolves, in a sense, of saying, all right, you spent two to four weeks learning how to code, you're good for a job, and there's someone who might have, uh, be kind of just technically inclined to begin with, and really have grasped it, and be able to take uh, take it and uh, use the, those, what they learned valuably. Then there's others, and I've uh, seen them a lot, particularly within the, uh, these more frameworky uh, cultures, where they think this is the only way to do it, and then they get tied down to that. And then my favorite is JavaScript frameworks. There's like uh, the guy two years ago learned Angular 1.x, and now they're either looking at Angular 2 or React, and they're just like, well, I have no idea how to do this, and this is what I wasn't supposed to do. So now it's like all of a sudden you don't know how to do these things, and while you could have been learning from fundamentals, you learned a framework. Well, and that you underscored exactly the problem with code schools. The problem with code schools is that they don't teach you how to think. They teach you how to piece together things that other people have made in order to create a website. The real strength of an engineer, though, comes from being able to dive into any system, whether or not you've worked on it previously, and sort things out and figure out how to get stuff to work, uh, you know, using real problem-solving skills. A lot of software design, the development, and a lot of, a lot of this is just problem-solving. The art is problem solving, the medium is programming. The medium is whatever language that you're writing it in. But when you have a problem, you can break it down into individual steps that you could write on in English, and then you turn those steps into code. But these Code Academy classes that say, you could be making $105,000 with our 12-week course, that's, it'll do two things. <clears throat> well, if that that's pretty large there. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. So, uh, you know, if that happens, uh, you might get found out to be a farce and get fired after quickly landing a gig, you might not actually get a gig because all of these engineering interviews are five steps or more. And they all really, they all ask you the same questions. Well, and, I mean, on, on, on one of the stages, there's always usually a whiteboard with well, a... That, like, I, I don't know, I'd say in recent years, people, because they're, they're aware of it being so similar, uh, at least like these much more te technically involved companies. Are you talking about... Like the big guys? Not necessarily the big guys, just like the very technically in-depth, like people who their product is tech itself as opposed to uh, you're delivering a website. These are the guys who are delivering the thing that runs your website. And with those guys, they're really looking to diversify themselves in a way that uh, really can try to bring out value, which does lead to probably a bit more slow moving and less process. But it also means that they, ha they have the ability to vet them in a way that they feel comfortable with. That's true. Uh, and vetting them in a way that they feel comfortable with is antithetical, antithetical to 
code schooling because they'll probably be dropped out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm someone who's been making websites this whole year. I can't, I can't make it through every interview. There's always a couple things that end up getting me. Like, why do you like to wear this hat? And I'm like, I don't know. And then they say, well, it's, you know, we don't wear hats in here. I, I'd I'm like sorry, take it off when I get in. Sorry. What? I'd like to interject. Um, I think that one point that you're making is uh, you are looking at this on a meta level. And what I really appreciate about the web, uh, you said you mentioned stuff about modularity. And, w- and my favorite parts about learning on the web are not necessarily these code schools, which are great, uh, but uh, like micro things. So there's uh, and, and a lot of that is... Uh, you know, not people are not necessarily monetizing everything, and if they are, it's not a big corporation monetizing it. Maybe just an individual programmer who made something great, who's just reaping some advertising money off of it. But like, there's a there's a game out there uh, for learning how to play Vim, and it's it looks like a like a crappy like medieval quest game, but you learn Vim the whole time, which is something that's pretty that good. Is not easy to do no matter who you are. There's Flexbox Froggy. All right, that yeah, really that, helps. That, that, Whoa, that, I haven't that heard of that. You want to learn Flexbox? That, yeah, Flexbox. Well, I, I had the CSS tricks page, thankfully. Well, okay, another, no, another but great example of Flexbox Froggy on a micro a, level. CSS tricks.com. You know, every single programmer, uh, front end programmer knows about it, has come across it, and uh, it's open source. He's not monetizing or anything other than. Well, they're not a code school. Because code schools are monetizing the destruction of the industry, like I said, because there's eventually going to be a, a tipping point where all of these mildly qualified or unqualified programmers eventually kind of eschew the senior people like us, Christian. And uh, mm-hmm. there's eventually going to be much more of them than there are of us. And I don't even know. Uh, I, <clears throat> I used to say 20 years ago, if I did this, I'd be a millionaire. And now, 20, uh, I'm, I have a whatever. And then 20 years from now, I'll be broke. Because just the economics of the situation, it's changing so much. And the amount of barely skilled workers are going to flood the market. There's no way that they can keep giving these people six-figure salaries. So first uh, first off, and more of where I'm focused, of like the infrastructure and systems, I definitely see the case that you run into more specialized uh, programmers, much more so. In fact, I think it's a field that, it, because of its difficulty, limits it to uh, people who don't come from school, schools. Maybe they, they didn't go to school for programming, but they do have years and years of experience to understand how a computer works at a very low level. But that doesn't second, help any... Se- se- second of all, I was going to say, was um, uh, kind of... Uh, it, both fr- from your point of saying that these uh, it's going to lead just into plugins on top of plugins, after a while, application development kind of uh, automates itself to the, uh, much like most automation, uh, m- most programming. It just leads to being automated to it- itself, and then application development could go away entirely to the point where these plugins just build themselves. I mean, there's already a uh, DIY website creator that's supposed to use AI to choose what template and stuff that you like. So that's not too far off. Christian, what, Tyler, what do you think? Yeah, AI is going to run uh, just about everything. AI and ML. Oh, yeah. ML, machine, machine learning. learning. Um, Everybody's trying to do machine learning stuff these days. I've actually read some amazing things about the uh, healthcare industry and how that's going to be totally disrupted by machine learning. Um, totally cool. Um, basically, what's going to happen... Uh, like Watson? There are too many papers uh, produced every single year. There's something like 2.5 million docu- uh, you know, doctor-level papers. Uh, produced every year, and no medical doctor or other type of doctor can ever read that stuff. I know a doctor. Yeah, can he read two and a half million papers yeah, a year? Yeah, and this doctor... And treat patients. Yes, and this doctor was a former contestant on Jeopardy. Does he also deliver His name presents? is Dr. Watson, made by <laughs> IBM. And Watson can sift through all of the mounds of paperwork that, that uh, people need or that people deal with, not to mention the fact that Watson can also do some kind of complex analysis and then come up with a verdict 
of a diagnosis now. I don't know. You know, it's it, that's one step closer to the idiocracy kind of hit the button that corresponds with your problem. And then it's your then the one that the problem that you have isn't a button on the thing and it doesn't know what to do. So I, I once worked for a company that uh, was trying to do a similar thing of um, trying to uh, automate an application to a particular um, uh, federal and state aid. And with that, uh, the, what was involved was actually uh, yeah, ingesting documents and uh, using image processing to gain that all to get all the data out of that image. Pro- oh, of course. Yeah. Sorry. And then that that would actually uh, go through to um, back back then uh, there wasn't such a thing as like an a- API to uh, the uh, government's applications, so you actually had to run a headless browser to fill out the pages. Wait, I'm surprised that there's an API to government applications now. Uh, there, there's some. I mean, they're they're they're, they're the ones that you uh, just facepalm looking at the documentation. Can I can on. like the uh, API for the Office of Personnel Management so I can look up anybody's information? I don't know about that one, but weirdly enough, the well, they got uh, hacked recently. That's why I bring it up. Weirdly but. enough, the API to get uh, info on national parks seems to be the best API I've seen the government implement. <laughs> what is what? What type of info do you get? Just like it, it's really and... it's really just gets on uh, parks, but it's probably the only one that I've seen where I'm not like, why did they do it this way? Does it have a live update for deer, other wildlife? Around? That would be really cool, be wouldn't cool. it? Yeah. Again, you can yeah. just see that number decrease. Yeah, as time goes maybe, on. Maybe put like a webhook thing, so that way, like you have your own service that says, "Hey, there's a deer nearby," and you can do. Oh like yeah. That. yeah, and then you somehow hook that into Flexbox. Back. Ah, I blew it. You somehow hook it into Flexbox Froggy. It's so I uh, is Flexbox Froggy like open source or uh, no? It's not. It's just a website that, that, that people use. That'd be awesome to be able to say I host my own uh, Flexbox Froggy. No, but if you wanted to create your own fr- Flexbox Froggy, there's like the I, L and the R I guess and the you could O's rip it off are the, different uh, sounds. Yeah. And that's why I can't flex. It's like Arnold Palmer. Oh, I yeah. said it. That's a hard one for me to say. There's all the L's and the R's. <laughs> I usually end up all the Paul But I shouldn't say it like that because he's dead and that's insensitive. So, Why? Uh, Tyler, we, we touched on earlier teaching you or anybody who's relatively new to web design old philosophies of code. And um, one of the old philosophies of code that I love is PHP. And it's really hard to continue developing PHP in this day and age because you have so much going against you. I mean, for years, people would say, uh, it's not a real programming language. How do you get this done? Are there many, many security holes or the performance is piss poor? But you want to know why I still develop PHP after all these years? That, I can tell you in one word. Tradition! Yeah. Exactly. Tradition. The reason why I still develop PHP after all these years. PHP has kept up with the times... To an extent, uh, there's HHVM, the hip-hop 
virtual machine that allows you to optimize PHP's code so it runs on a, much more smoothly on a server, and then you could put that in kind of like a Docker image, and then add that to a Vagrant box, and you can have these clusters of PHP servers. And also, You're PHP crossing is, the streams here. Oh, no, but it's possible, and people do it, and I do it, Whoa. and it allows you to still develop. Now, here's the biggest reason, outside of my Fiddler on the Roof reference, of why I still develop PHP. It's because I've been working with it since 2002, and there has not been a single problem that it can't solve. Um. Now, is it the best tool to use for everything? No. But it's a tool that has continued to work for me with every, every type of problem that I've had to solve with it, including creating my own MVC framework. And uh, I have, unfortunately, possibly a stubborn allegiance to it, um, which I believe you take the majority of the blame for trying to get me away from PHP. Absolutely. Uh, one, I challenge you to build a distributed system scheduler in PHP. Uh, I, I would find that extremely interesting. Uh, what would you What would you build that in? Go. There's go where? Go lang. Go lang. Yes. What's lang? That you have to go to Google's lang. programming. Go to lang. Google's yeah, programming really language. Go is like go to like that like is uh, uh, particularly optimized for concurrency, and it uh, deals with communicating data across a, a concurrent uh, contexts very well. And in fact, many distributed system schedulers are built in that, including, uh, I'd say the most popular one being Kubernetes, which is a uh, scheduler uh, to schedule containers uh, within a, a cluster. And uh, where I was saying you're uh, crossing the beams was the Vagrant and Docker thing. Vagrant is just a way to manage your VMs and containers, and Docker is a container runtime itself. Right. The, 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 but I mean, if you have that's land like, uh, installed, that's like a potato and an orange. No, I mean, if you have a, if you have a, a, a vagrant box, can contain Docker images. Right, but right? a vagrant box is a VM or a container. Well, itself. right, but it's a it's it's a VM is also a type of container. Where mm, if okay, where would no. you put? Where would you put? You just made a lot of system engineers very angry. It's like a square is a rectangle, you know. No, 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 a container is just a uh, a few things coming from the kernel to isolate it, which uh, namespaces, C groups, and then a charted uh, directory or just a whole brand new mounted device. And so that creates isolation, but you're still sharing the same exact kernel. I'm, I'm but, 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 but then a VM, on the other hand, you're actually running virtualized hardware on your main kernel that then you have an entire guest operating system on top of. So when you install LAMP, which you never do, but I'm not, I don't, you know, I install LAMP. And I cry every time. You know, one of, another reason why I've been coding PHP so long is so I can keep using that Anchorman joke in interviews. What I they 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 say, uh, why? What what type of stuff do you code in? And I say, well, much like Steve Carell from Anchorman, I love Lamp. Yeah, exactly. It gets about that kind of a response from them too. It's okay. First, you can polish up your comedy skills, and then you can follow. Use a reference from this decade. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but okay baby steps when i talk about when i say something as hideous as a container might be the same as a virtual machine um can the things that you put in a virtual machine get out or access to the ho access the host system without special routes in, yes or no in very particular cases can you yes. have different instances of the same thing and across virtual machines holes. that don't talk to each other so yes or no i have a very repeat basic the question questions. repeat the question can you have different instances of the same thing, two different configurations mm -hmm. running concurrently in virtual uh, virtualized environments because they're... Yes. Okay. How is that not a container? 
So a container, in the other hand, it's still running all in the same kernel. You put and all your shit in a box, Christian. You put all your shit in a box, and you have another box for this other shit. You're thinking of this too figuratively. Uh, a container, it's sharing the same kernel. So uh, it is much more possible for you to hop out of a container than a VM. A VM, on the other hand, you're uh, basically you have just the hypervisor to take advantage of to, to hop out of. Which right. There are certain cases where, yes, you can hop out of it. And there have been viruses to exploit hypervisor modes like that. Yes. Sure. But... In the term of there, uh, a some sort of containment device for files and code and configuration data and applications and binaries and stuff. So none of a this vagrant is a. I would say vagrant is a different type of container. No, virtual va machine is is kind of has to be the same as a container. Vagrant is neither a container or a VM. It's a way to manage your VMs. Okay, I'm sorry. A vagrant virtual machine. Mm -hmm. Semantics. That's fine. A vagrant virtual machine. It's a different type of container. It has to be. It's, no. it's a, your stuff's in a box. No, 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 no. Except so this. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Except instead of just Docker, which has only the files that you need, it also has the operating system and other environment stuff, but it's still stuff in a box, and you have another box with different no, stuff no, in no, it. No, 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 no. So if anyone else is feeling indifferent about this. <laughs> So not alone. How is how is, a <laughs> container doesn't necessarily need to have all of this isolation. You can uh, choose to share certain namespaces, and you can sh share certain paths in a VM. You could add shared folders and map well, them. Okay, you're thinking of files though. Containers don't even need to have a file system necessarily, aside from the binary that you're loading to be executed. They don't have a file system. How do you access the stuff in the container? You don't necessarily need that. Like I actually really. How does the stuff in the container? I really like to strive to have my containers be basically just this scratch container saying run this process in its own little thing, which is to say, I don't have a file system for this. I just have, this is the binary, and that's the only thing in this entire file system. How do you reference it? I don't need to reference it. How do you tell uh, Docker to run the binary? So the way uh, pretty much any container runtime I've uh, seen, including the one I've created myself, works is it's through a double forking of, to say, in the parent, you, you end up... Uh, uh, you, uh, in the parent, you end up uh, uh, just saying, okay, now execute a child process, and in that child process, do all this isolation here. And then in the child process, you run whatever you want to actually run. I'm sorry, double forking? Come on. How yeah. can you not? <laughs> that's too, that's too, it's too low, low hanging of a matzo ball. Um, it was beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Tyler, you, you said you're indifferent. Do you, can I, can I lure you over to my side of the table? With kind of my abstract view of both of them, that they're both boxes for stuff. Well, sure. At at one end of the day, yeah. Um, and then at the other hand, uh, they're used for different purposes. So, right. But like I said, it's a square versus rectangle. Ooh, Obviously, yeah. a square has more requirements, but they're still rectangular. It's just that it happens to be all of the sides are equal on a square. Yeah. Squares and rectangles are used for different purposes. I'd have to research but, to see if you could accomplish the same things with both of those things. But I'm not but, saying they're exactly so, the same. Here's the thing. Is a, square, is a square still a rectangle if it's made up of completely different underlying uh, uh, structures? Yeah. If, if it's a square, if then yes. In general, on a meta level, it's a square. Yeah. It doesn't matter how the square... Could The square could be made up of an infinite number of triangles. Well, okay, it's still a way. square, and that square is still a rectangle. Because basically what you're saying is you have a square and a rectangle, but all of a sudden a square is not a shape. What? So think of the rectangle Multiple as the VM. Shapes can also make the v up a the shape. VM is a shape because it's uh, has its own kernel. To VM it. is a square, and a container is the rectangle. Why? Because oh no, let's not go down this road. That's true. We could spend the next three weeks debating this. We're gonna so, be drawing shapes in the walls. We guys. have different relationships with <laughs> geometry. That's fine. 
Um, I'll, we can just agree that I'm right and move on. Anyway, why don't you tell us about the container system that you made? Uh, it's Maestro, right? No, that's actually a, a CI/CD build manager. Totally different. Oh, I'm sorry, my mistake. But, um, uh, that makes much more sense for that. CI/CD, of course, is continuous integration slash continuous delivery, which usually implies another form of CD, which is continuous development and never sleeping. Uh, <laughs> So what's your uh, container system called? So it's called Spawn D. It's under pretty heavy development right now. Spawn D. When you say it's under pretty heavy development, is that you? Uh, yes, in the sense that it's still not... Uh, the only stable thing is I can currently run uh, Bash like it w was its own operating system. Do you want me to put on some kind of music for you to do a, a fake commercial for, you know... Is that now? Nah, okay. I, I, I can't really do Do you like this. putting your web design in a box? Well, my box is better than the rest of, rest of the other box. So I should mention the reason why I'm creating it. One, to follow the OCI standard, which was a standard set up about OCI a, stands a, a year. Open Container Initiative, which is the idea of standardizing container runtimes. Is that by Rubbermaid? No. The Open Container Initiative. I almost have to force myself from not laughing. Are to you, not laugh. Are you OCD for OCI? <laughs> 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 oh, well man. played. Who well played. else but Quagmire? Really good job. Um, okay, so there's an open container initiative. Mm -hmm. You know, you usually lose the tops to Tupperware boxes. <laughs> so keeping the containers open is a great way to lose the tops. Okay, I, I get the joke, but uh, in the sense that this is, this <laughs> but you is... can't laugh at it. Okay. So what is the, uh, the what is the goal? Of the open container initiative. It is to standardize container runtimes because originally uh, this came out of the fact that you had both Docker uh, from Docker and Rocket from CoreOS uh, as these two growing in popularity and if container they... runtimes. And they approach containers in uh, very different ways. And the uh, most obvious one is uh, Docker has its own daemon and they kind of just did their own API and everything. And Rocket follows a very st uh, strict way of doing things, much like how uh, SystemD handles its container runtime and spawn. So if you used the, who makes Rocket? CoreOS. CoreOS. So if you used uh, CoreOS's container Rocket for a mobile device, you could say, I have a Rocket in my pocket. I don't think you're using mobile devices, but that is a good Giggity. joke. Yeah, thank you. Um, anyway, uh, so why is your box better than Google's boxes? Giggity. So Google's. Um, uh, so the, the big thing there, that Do you double fork? I do double Giggity. fork. Can you can you double fork like three times a day? Oh, way more than that. Way more than three times a day. That's oh, yeah. a lot. E easily a Does half it get dozen. dry? Oh no, it just keeps on going. No. Okay. So what? Okay, go on about your box. Anyway, so the uh, the big thing I, 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 that I'm bringing table there is one. I was just getting fed up with supervisors, so you can also just run regular processes outside of a container with this. Two. Uh, it's the idea of being able to be much more cross-platform. It does Linux containers, it does OSX sandboxing, and it does free BSD jails right now. And um, based on the OCI standard, there's also support for Solaris, which is weird, how, and Windows, unfortunately. How do you support... So does your, these containers have to have file systems, right? Not necessarily. So how do you support different OSs without file systems? Isn't that a... So the way uh, containers uh, end up uh, transferring over an OS image is uh, at the... Um, I'll use the Docker example because they have like a very nice way of uh, doing a build. Uh, so you do a Docker build, and what that's actually doing is it creates a new um, uh, ephemeral device that's using uh, UAFS, which is a uh, layered file system. Which a, la a layered file system, uh, how that functions is that uh, as you write to it, a new layer is created. So you add a file, then that's a new layer. You add another file, that's another layer. What do you mean by layers? Is this like a bean dip? Uh, th so the uh, term is copy on write. So the idea is... 
each layer is a snapshot. And with that snapshot, uh, if you go back, it's your entire file system, but each time it's got a uh, uh, new addition for each layer. So this gives you both a historical reference as well as the ability to uh, actually share layers to say you um, have uh, like a base layer uh, would be your scratch container. So which that's the refried beans. No file system. And then you have your next one would be like a, say de uh, your Debian image. You, uh, you use the uh, debootstrap uh, command, which just says, I want all the files that are in Debian and move them over here. And then what do you use for sour cream? Oh, um, you know, uh, just uh, milk, eggs, butter. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the, then you start to get into your dependencies and your actual application that you move over into the container. So all of the files in the container, or the file system, all the, sorry. I have to figure out the best way of asking this. The layers in the file system, they all have to be the same type of file system, right? Or can you have like an EXT3 and then an, a FAT and then an NTFS and then an HFS layer all on the same kind of so, layered file system? So that can vary from your container runtime to say, I just want different mounts. And that can also vary in the sense that uh, in the, uh, from Docker's perspective, that you can say, I want a volume from the host that uh, can be whatever file system that's supported by Linux or weirdly enough Windows. How do you access different layers within a file system? Or within your layered file system? Is that a it's file? All, because be, because it's all of this, a snapshot of the same, uh, same uh, file system, it's just layers built on top of each other. So at that top layer, all those files are there. It's just every time you go to write, it's a new layer. Oh. So it's not like a bean dip. It's more like a tree. Yes. Where every year is a new layer around the tree. Yes. Yeah. Does that make sense, Tyler? I like bean dip. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's there. It's easier to eat than trees. Yeah. Yeah. Trees but... are much better to something else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Decorating the holiday season living room. Of course. Oh. Of course. <clears throat> and then just like barbecue, you like smoking trees. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about this. This is a. Uh, we talked last week about resource restriction. There's a big resource that's being restricted right now, and that's NAND flash memory. Mm. There is a shortage of NAND memory, which is the bedrock of SSDs and all solid-state drives, which is what SSD stands for. But your phone, your iPod Touch, a lot of modern computers, my Wait, MacBook Pro, your MacBook Pro. Do you have an iPod Touch? I have an iPod Touch. Weird. Fourth generation. <laughs> I mean, it's in a stare. box somewhere. It's in a container somewhere. Not a virtual machine, but it still works. So okay. yeah, because I, I can see you. I can see your that, facial uh... ticks over there. <laughs> I can't. Like, semantics. <laughs> uh, uh, compiler error does not compute. Yeah, anyway, it's more of like a segmentation. Uh, Seg fault at line uh, one. Core, core dump. I use yeah. it when my Zune is acting up. Oh, there you go. Your brown <laughs> Zune. Yeah. So here's an interesting, uh, from Tom's Hardware, which if you are a geek, you know that Tom's Hardware are good people, but if you're not, then it sounds like just some dude in a garage named Tom. Hey, man, you want some computers? <laughs> I got a lot of them. No, it's, uh, yeah, take it easy on the trees. Doesn't anyway. Doesn't sound like computer hardware. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, it works most of the time. You just have to watch the humidity. Just kick it a little. Yeah, just kick it a little. You jiggle the handle. So, uh, they talk about... Tom drinks a lot. Tom might drink a lot. That's why he, it's just him and his hardware. Um, they. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus points, Christian. Okay, so 
it says, we began reporting on the first sites of the looming NAND shortage all the way back in May and have touched on the domino effect in many articles. I guess their first report was just that it was happening. And that if there is a shortage, and of course prices are going to go sky high, but why don't we just, as they do for oil, drill? And by drill, I mean just make more NAND memory, but it goes on. To make matters worse, oh, sorry, I forgot, I forgot. Uh, now the shortage is in full string. Swing. Ugh. Sorry. Dry, dry mix, dram, DRAM exchange. There we go. I was trying to, although they're not, it's not a word, it's an acronym. DRAM exchange reported that the average price of MLC SSDs, what is that? Sounds sexual. Sorry, say that again. MLC? That's a good question. I actually do MLC SSDs, multi-level cache. Multi-layer cache. Hey, there you go. Hey, maybe, maybe. Okay, you that you guys right. look it up. Uh, the average pr price of that rose this quarter. That's three months between six and ten percent, which sounds like a health insurance premium. They're spiking it. While TLC SSDs, what are those? Transient layer cache. It's not, that, it's not that band from the nineties, is it? I mean, TLC, that is a band for the 90s. That's not the... Their their prices aren't going up. They might be price gouging, too. Everyone's no. doing it these uh. days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, it says that those also rose 6 to 9%, and we reached out to them, not we, but Tom's Hardware did, uh, whose projections indicate even higher price hikes at both the retail and OEM level. To make matters worse, although HDDs unexpectedly had the biggest quarter-over-quarter -quarter recovery in seven years, according to Trend Focus, now the HDD industry is beginning to exhibit early signs of tightened supply, because as you go into the holidays, your pants seem to get tighter. No. Uh, tightened supply, which means that there could be shortages and higher prices in that segment as well. So, Christian, mm -hmm. why? Why? Why is this happening? Uh, I'd say part of it is demand for uh, SSDs. and oh, Of course it's demand for SSDs. There wouldn't be a shortage if the demand didn't exceed the supply. And I would say part of it, too, is that the, manu the, the speed of which we can manufacture this stuff is uh, rather low in, compared, How? in comparison to more of your traditional drives. There are drives. millions and millions and millions of phones that are just churned out every year. Every one of them has a NAND flash drive. Sure. And then there's also the NAND flash drives that I'm literally wearing right now. Like, I'm literally wearing 64 gigabytes. Mm -hmm. I don't... If there's enough for that, then why is there a shortage? Unless it's an artificial constraint by the people who run the stuff on the market to increase prices for their own benefit. That's very possible. There's not even... I remember... Uh, was it 2011? Where there was that tsunami in Thailand? Where, they, yeah. where, like, where a lot of Western digital and Seagate hard drives are made. Sure. I think it was Thailand. And it really messed up their supply for about six months and prices. And for mechanical discs and prices peaked and, and they re recouped from the supply. But there's no natural disaster here. And maybe they could blame this on global warming, but that'll be a stretch even. So what the hell is this? Well, it could be that they are officially shortening it. And, uh, or it could be the fact that... It is, a, uh, particularly as we uh, look into uh, more, more of the future ways of producing SSDs, such as 3D NAND, which I have a uh, uh, 3D NAND SSD in one of my computers. And while the performance is incredible, it is uh, the case that this is uh, uh, bleeding-edge technology that takes much more resources, both in the sense of uh, uh, your actual natural resources, the uh, human resources, your monetary resources, etc., to produce these things. 
And so there could just be a matter of from a more business standpoint that there is, in fact, a shortage. Wow. I, so we might actually go backwards in terms of hard disk, in terms of price per gigabyte, basically. I prefer the word giggity bite, but yes. Giggity, 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 goo! That's too easy. Again, um, you'll have to talk to the standards committee about that. But <laughs> to make matters worse, uh, because nobody's buying mechanical disks anymore except for geeks like me that need four terabytes at a time, which there will be an SSD with that eventually, um, they're ramping down production of hard disks, of regular hard disks, mechanical hard disks. So... There might be a shortage of them too. The prices might go up on mechanical, and then there might the prices might go up on solid state. And I don't think of all of the forecasts that have happened about computers. I don't think anybody saw this coming. So, I've said it before. Logs are basically text carbon emissions, and I think like you look at actually a lot of your storage use, it goes to logs. Logs. So, oh, yes. oh, like logs, logs. Syslogs, uh, application logs, all those. Sure. Your logs. Yeah, you, you got to save those. And, well, that, uh, it's in a sense like how there's carbon emissions uh, uh, killing the environment. This is car- uh, text carbon Allegedly. emissions killing storage. Arguably, uh, allegedly. though. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. It might be a hoax allegedly. by the Chinese. No. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting, though, because if you have a system that generates logs, then why would you put that on a disk that only has a certain number of writes? Why, why wouldn't you... If you have a... Uh, like, you, here's a great... Are you saying that two logs don't make a write? Oh. That wasn't even close. I'm not even going to play a sound effect for that, Tyler. <laughs> I think it speaks for itself. No. 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 I, I enjoyed it. Sorry. Well, I mean, yeah, but you guys are... Anyway, um, <laughs> no, here's a, here's a quick tangent, and by the way, I own quicktangent.com, and I've actually lasted so long into this episode without doing that, but I have a server for an old client of mine that hosts 15 websites, I'm not kidding, 15, and they're all running off of the same PHP framework that I made, they just have different templates, and it selects what template to use for the site based on the domain name. Um, there is a very bad thing that PHP does when you uh, just install it by default, which is that it doesn't select a default time zone. Even though you could just... I feel the, like there's config... a lot more worse things that Okay, does. well, this is... Uh, th- th- this story specifically settles down. This story specifically is about that. So, uh, even though in when you open up your PHP.ini file, which also tells you how old... That INI, really? It's pronounced any. Oh, I have an Audi. So, right... Uh, that was about as good as your job. Um, <laughs> so we all have our moments. Yeah. Uh, PHP has this. They they have the default time zone commented out in the default PHP.ini file, and uh, why they have it commented out is beyond me. Because what happens when you run a PHP page with that default configuration is it prints out a warning, saying PHP does not have a default time zone yet. You need to sell one. Well, if they just uncommented that line, then there would be one. It would just be incorrect. Well, except for here because the we're in the best time zone, which is New York time, and uh, it's, the only, it's the only one you need. It's not UTC, uh, but we, you, know, we you do, should definitely use good. UTC for many reasons. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just saying, do, no, do use UTC. Mm, but, That's, but if UTC didn't exist, we are right there behind them. UTC minus four. I like Hawaii's time time. zone. When you go there, all the games are on really early. It's like the baseball games. Aren't you on uh, like Luau time? 
Yeah, it's really There's sweet. There's no time in Hawaii. And <laughs> the whole rest of the country is three to six hours ahead of you, so you don't have to stay up till two in the morning to watch a sports game. But oh, then every, everyone else in the, uh, the the rest of the country is in the future, though. Don't you want to be in the future? Like us. No. We're in the future compared to the people where you're from in California. That's that's cool. Like and I and going out I to California chill longer for the day. Against your microphone, Tyler, but I really want Hawaii gets like <laughs> nine <laughs> more hours of margarita time than we do. Right. I forgot Every that's where day. your head is at. <laughs> I'm trying to change the world by with good design and creating things and you're just, Yeah, man, there's more chill time, you know? Cause all the people on the East Coast get so wrapped up with their jobs and work and we just kinda hang out on the beach. Sometimes you guys see the Corona commercial, but you forget to live the Corona commercial. <laughs> oh, Very good. Damn, anyway, I, I need a plaque saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it should be like a monogrammed kind of uh, inspirational like poster or something. No, just like a knitting thing. <laughs> oh, one of oh, those couch yeah, um, Tele- needlepoint. It, yes. Needle, yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, before we lose track, I wanted to tell you that uh, because PHP output that warning saying that there was no time zone set, that it, it outputs that on every file that's included. And that's every request that's made that requests a file times the number of websites on the server, which was 15, meaning that it actually did kill the server. And I got a very distraught call from my client saying, what happened? And I looked in the log file. I shit you not was 10 gigabytes. So PHP and well, HTTP servers and PHP for some reason contributes to so many logs. And I already told you why I do PHP. I'm also, I'm also curious, I'm curious uh, if uh, alternative PHP runtimes also have that issue, like uh, PHP FPM and HHVM. I don't think it's a runtime issue. Well, you well, can, you well. The configure... thing is, they're entirely different interpreters. So no, but you can, it's a log. They're going to have a different any setup and everything. But it, oh, oh, okay. Well, if they have a different any setup, then hopefully the people that have made PHP HHVM and the other one that I can't remember FPM FPM, thank you, uh, have had the forethought to disable that type of error messaging because it's really it will really clog up stuff if you don't remember to change it and you pretty much have to change it. By the way, there is a possible solution to this NAND shortage. As we go back to that, it's called 3D NAND technology, but it's slow. It's not slow actually. I mean, the, the, the transition is slow. Ah, I see what getting, you're getting from the current, uh, I guess, 2D NAND, the yep. acronyms that we didn't know up there, mm-hmm. uh, to the 3D NAND, where the real cool stuff is, is uh, really hard. And it makes sense because it's... Really? Because I have a 3D NAND card. How much was it? Uh, $3,000. Uh, how much? <laughs> I remember it was like uh, exactly. Did two, you have the- 256 gigs. I don't remember the price at all. Well, that's what's really I know I got it on sale. Because we're talking about pricing for NAND drives. If you can't tell me the, the pricing of your futuristic NAND drive, that doesn't really help. I'd say the biggest issue actually is that it uses an entirely different port. You can't, at least the one I have, can't be used over SATA. SB used over M.2, which uses up a PCI lane. Okay, and then how do you factor that into the... Um, well, actually, you know, all of the Apple SSDs are on the PCI Express bus. Yes, they use the same port. So then I don't see a problem with that. Well, that's fine for Apple, but uh, say you've got a desktop or, uh, a, God forbid, a Windows PC, but or <laughs> just a uh, Linux uh, P- uh, PC or any of those. Not all of them have that M.2 slot. They might have just SATA, and you're stuck with your traditional SSD. Do you have to boot to a floppy disk to install drivers for your SSD with Windows? 
You did for Raid. If you had yeah. a Raid, like, Mac OS would just know it. And I remember you had that. To boot, so you had to insert the bootable floppy, and then it was like, there's no hard drives in this computer. And then you had to install the drivers specifically for your, or just get a Macintosh. Because it just did it. Remember floppy disks? Remember floppy disks? Oh, I remember. I remember mini disks? I remember. Yeah. How about how about zip disks? Oh, I remember. Oh, Those are fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. How about jizz drive? Jazz drives. Whoa. I always forget, whoa, I always forget whoa, that. No, buddy. A, my computer's a jizz drive now. So anyway, no. I can see. <laughs> <laughs> I need. I should have cleaned that before bringing it over here. Uh, no, I was shooting a pornography earlier. And that's what happened. How do you get negative one views? How do you get negative one views? Um, when you watch yourself, the counts go down. They figured that out. It's a sad day, I know. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <clears throat> you can't watch your own pornography and get views. They figured out how to track that. Ah. So, 3D NAND technology. What is? What's the? I. What is it? What like I. I've talked about 3D hardware, or sorry, I've, I've heard of 3D hard drive technology, but I don't even know what that is, really, because so, it's an extra bit of density. Like, I get how you have a needle, and it's, a hard drive is basically a jukebox, and you have your record of data, and you have your little needle that plays the record, and uh, it goes as it goes. Uh, that's 2D. I get it. Mm. 3D, how does it know to go in and out, and, and that's got to really kill the seek time? It's not exactly function, a function like that. It's more so uh, kind of being able to layer 2D on, to, on top of uh, each other. Oh. Yeah. Um, no, but how does it know? Does it build an index? So that's a little over my head, uh, honestly. I don't know in too much detail how 3D NAND works. I just know that it's awesome to boot off of. <laughs> oh, okay. Well... I guess that's all the t discussion that we have time for this week. So, Christian, do you approve this pull request? Looks good to me. Tyler? Looks great. Well, then let's all hit merge. And we'll see you all next week right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. <laughs>